Good morning. It's good to be with you. Kind of different for me to not do the greeting and welcome and announcements. I always enjoy greeting you, um, but I appreciate Jason. He had a lot of uh, guts to wear an Alabama shirt up here, didn't he? And he forgot a prayer, uh, prayer request. We need to pray for the Hokie Nation today. We need a, a lot of depressed people in our country today. Need some prayer, some encouragement. Uh, get your Bibles out, James chapter 2 is where we'll be today. And I just want to encourage you, I know many of you have been here since we started this series. Some of you may have, have not been with us. You can go back online on our website and catch up if you've missed a week. We've been going through the New Testament letter of James where we've uh, really learned some important truths about uh, not only um, you know, our salvation, but how that plays out in our everyday life. Now, uh, you know, last weekend was kind of a, a crazy week, crazy weekend. You know, we kept thinking this hurricane was, was coming, and I don't know about you, but I was g- glued to the uh, news, you know, the weather forecast, trying to figure out, was well, this thing going to, you know, affect us? Where's it going to hit? Where's it going to take place? Look, <clears throat> thankfully, it didn't do much here, right? Uh, it didn't do very much here. But there are other places like around us within just a couple hours driving distance that are, uh, you know, affected greatly. And so let's continue to pray for them. Bill Sargent's going to be heading down uh, to North Carolina this today and spending this week. And so just, uh, you know, pray for him as he travels this week. But, you know, I noticed something funny that went viral, and it was the weather guy, right? You all know what I'm talking about because you're already laughing, right? The, the weather guy that's that's doing this, and he's acting like it's about to blow him over, and then two guys just walk behind him and just sort of strut like it's no big thing. And so I'm like, whoa, this really is a conspiracy. There really is fake news out there. Trump is right. That's fake news. You know? And so I just, that gave me a good laugh. And I don't know if I'll ever watch weather forecasts the same again. I'll always be critical. Is this guy telling the truth or what? Um, I remember the first time I found out wrestling was fake. I was devastated. Hey, I, look, <laughs> I just surprised some people in here, right? I just let you down. Sorry about that. I know we may have some teenagers or adults, Gary, in here that still think wrestling is real. But I just remember finding that out, and I was just devastated. I mean, you, these guys don't hate each other? You mean, you know, after this is over, they go out to eat together? And I don't understand that. And you know what? I never watched it with the same excitement that I did after I found out. And uh, it just did not appeal to me. So we've got, we got uh, fake news. Wrestling is fake. Here's the question. Can faith be fake? Ooh. Can faith be fake? Can you have fake faith? Um, the, the sobering truth, according to God's word, not according to Zach, but according to God's word, is that you can. You can. A, a person can claim to have faith, but yet not have genuine faith or, or saving faith. So last week, uh, we talked about how Christ died for everyone. And if you didn't listen to that last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Christ died for everyone. God sent his son to this world to die for everyone. But the truth is, 
Not everyone will respond to that truth, to that uh, with belief, uh, with saving faith. Uh, The Bible teaches us that the right kind of faith, genuine faith, real faith, produces fruit. Okay, Uh, Matthew chapter 7 verse 16, this is Jesus when he's talking about how you can tell the difference between uh, a real person of faith and just a pretender. He says this, you will know them by their fruits. Uh, Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Right? So there's this idea that you you can tell what something is by what it produces. You know, the other day uh, I was driving to Claypool Hill from Tazewell, and the kids looked over and said, oh, there's a pumpkin patch. Right? Um, and, And how do they know that? Right? They, they wouldn't know that it was a pumpkin patch unless they saw the pumpkins. Right? The, the plant, the vine, grows real low to the ground. You wouldn't even be able to tell it was there. But they saw the fruit. They saw the pumpkin. Well, we've been discussing how real faith is tested. That's sort of the theme throughout James. You know, Our faith uh, becomes tested. And another way... Another test of faith comes in what follows our proclamation of faith. Does my faith lead to something? Does my faith produce something? In our scripture focus, we'll pick up in in chapter 2, verse 14. I want to share with you this morning some very important biblical truths about faith. And these all come from God's Word. The first very important truth that I want to share with you this morning is faith without works is dead faith. Faith without works is dead faith. Uh, Let's pick up at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? You see, a person can say a lot. A person can can claim a lot. And that's important in understanding James' argument here. A a person can say a lot about what they believe, but if there are no deeds, if there are no works, if there's no fruit, then the claims are meaningless. They're, They're no good. And James even takes it a step further here. He says, can that faith save them? In other words, is a life without works, reflective of a life that is genuinely saved? What a question. Wow, what a tough question that is. And James, he just sort of leaves it there for everyone to think about and everyone to consider. Anybody like controversy here? You know, I don't like it. Um, But there's a big controversy about faith and works and and. Can you have real faith? Can you have fake faith? Well, here's God's word. And according to God's word, you can. You can. And look, I know many times right here, right here at this this section of scripture, we like to begin to look at others. And uh, we like to point fingers and we say, well, that person is obviously not saved. Right? We we do that. We, We think those things. We look at others And we make a judgment call on whether or not that person is genuinely saved. But that is not wise. That's not wise. And it's not the intention of this teaching. That's not the point. 
that this is a challenge for us not to point fingers at others, but it's a call for us to look in the mirror at ourselves. We cannot control the actions of others, right? But we can absolutely control what we do. And, and in the end, you know what? We're going to be held accountable for what we do and not what others do. So this is meant for us to examine ourselves and to examine our faith. So to illustrate his point, James moved on to offer an example, and it involves what we've been discussing over the past few weeks already, uh, helping the needy. Okay? Verse 15, he says this, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you, you see how James narrows it down to individual behavior? If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? There's that question again. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, James is real good at giving these illustrations, uh, telling these stories. Last week, he talked about a, a rich guy and a poor guy coming in to the church and how they were both treated differently based on how they looked, right? Remember that? Um, here the example is still within the church. It's a little bit different. It, it actually involves a brother or a sister without clothes. So no clothes. The person is naked. No clothes whatsoever. He says, look, what good is it if you just say nice things to them, but you don't help them? You don't help them. Right? I know that's an extreme example but sometimes we do things like that. Um, sometimes we'll say, you know, how are you doing? You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about your situation. I'm sorry to hear that. And many times we'll even say, look, I'm praying for you. Right? And look, I'm not discouraging, from, uh, discouraging you to, to refrain from saying nice things to people. Or to say that you'll pray for them. Right? We all need to do that. We'll talk about words real soon. And how important they are. But the bottom line is, if you see a need, and if you can meet it, then do it. Then do it. The point James is making is, faith without works is dead faith. If you simply claim to have faith, but yet nothing follows, then that faith is dead. Either it is non-existent, or it's useless. Either it is fake faith, or it's simply no good. No good. You might say, well, what's so important about works anyway? I mean, after all, I've read the Bible enough to know that the Bible teaches us that we are saved by faith alone. And I would say you're right. You're right. That, that's true. That's what I believe. We are saved by grace through faith and nothing else. Um, the Apostle Paul was very outspoken about this fact, and he spent a lot of time writing about this. And I just want to show you something in Ephesians. Remember, we just finished Ephesians going through this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Listen to this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So, wait a minute, I'm a little confused here, right? You got you got Paul saying that faith is important, right? And, and you got James saying that works is important. Well, who's right? Who's right? 
Well, the biblical answer is they both are. They both are. Let's look at this very next verse. I know sometimes we like to take Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and we like to separate it from verse 10, but in the very same breath, Paul says this. Let's just read it together. How's that? Let's read it again. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created. In other words, when we are born again through Christ, when you place your faith in Christ, you're a new creation to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, you see. Right here we have Paul talking about faith and works and the importance of both in the same breath. Paul and James, they don't contradict each other. They complement each other. They harmonize together. You see, Paul was making a case to some opposition that he had who thought that you could earn salvation through works. That was his opposition that he was making his argument to. James, who actually wrote much earlier than Paul, was writing against opposition that thought all you had to do was believe and nothing else. Paul's writing focused primarily on the means of salvation. How do you get saved? James' writing focused primarily on the outcome. What comes after faith? So they both complement, listen, each other in showing us what real faith is. The important truth that we all need to understand is that faith and works go together. Go together. And that's the next truth that I want to share with you. Faith and works are inseparable. Faith and works are inseparable. Verse 18. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So James gives another illustration here. Um, There's opposition to his point. You can clearly see that. There's an opponent here trying to say that you can have faith over here and you can have deeds over here and, and you can separate them and everything will be okay. James's response is astonishing. I had to go back and read it over and over again just to understand it. He said, no, you can't. You cannot separate. He says, you have faith? Well, show me. Show me you have faith. He says, I have faith and I'll show you. Now, you claim to have faith, you show me. Uh, James's argument here is that the two are always, always, always found together. Faith and works, faith and works, always found together. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, and what James is alluding to here is called the Shema. It's from Deuteronomy 6.4. It was the basic, fundamental Jewish proclamation of faith. There is one God. God is one. The devout Jew would believe this. They would speak it several times a day, at least first thing in the morning and at night. They would do this every single day. They would say this. You believe that there is one God? Well, good. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Is useless. Now, there's a little bit of sarcasm here by James. We can all pick up on that, can't we? Just a little bit. Uh, Now, James isn't saying that people are demons. He is not saying that at all. 
But what James is saying is that faith without obedience to God doesn't represent saving faith. It's the same type of faith that demons have. Did you know demons have faith? Listen to this and see if it just sounds similar to what somebody who claims to be a Christian believes. They know there's a God. They know there's a God who made everything. They know the Son of God. They know the the Son of God died on a cross. They know the Son of God rose from the grave. They know that this space in which we're living in is limited in time. They know there's something else approaching. They know that there's a judgment in the end. You see, how, you see the similarities there? A lot of similarities. James says, at least the demons believe and shudder. Or he says, look, at least these guys, at least they believe and there's a response, even if it is a shudder. At least there's some kind of response to what they say they believe. And James says this, foolish person. That, that word foolish uh, in the Greek literally means empty. It means void, empty. The person who just claims to have faith but doesn't have works is empty. Empty. And then he asked this, uh, it's a, another sarcastic question, but it's a rhetorical question. He, he asked this, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Well, what's the answer to that? You can't. You can't have evidence of that because there's nothing to show. There's no evidence to show. It's, it's empty. Look, faith that doesn't have works is faith that does not work. It does no good. It is dead and it's useless. Genuine faith is characterized by works. Third truth. Faith is proven by our actions. Faith is proven by our actions. Just so his readers get the point, James brought up two Old Testament examples of faith being demonstrated by action. And so let's read this together. Verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous? I want you to pay attention to that word, those two words there, considered righteous. We'll come back to it in just a minute. I just want you to to pay attention to it. Considered righteous for what? He did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. So many of us know know this story. We're familiar with this. Abraham and Sarah, Old Testament figures, they were old, uh, close to 100 years of age, and they, they didn't have any children, couldn't have children. And miraculously, God worked a miracle in their lives to where they were able to have a child at the age of 100. You know, wow. Uh, sometime later, God tested Abraham. So think about this with me. Your only child, the child that is promised to you, God asked you to give him up. Wow, it's just unbelievable, isn't it? You know, I think about that and it just blows my mind. You know, I truly believe that Abraham had this type of faith that just completely trusted God and knew that God was going to do something and intervene. God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham followed the Lord's instruction and he, he, 
he thought this, and it's mentioned in the scripture. God himself will provide a sacrifice. God himself will do it. And so as Abraham was getting ready to, to sacrifice Isaac, the Lord stopped him. He provided a ram to sacrifice instead. And look, the whole point of that is Abraham's faith was tested. His faith was tested, and he passed the test. Abraham's faith was real, and it was strong faith. And it even says it was made complete. It mean, that means perfected. How? Faith and works working together. That's how faith is perfected. And look at this, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, anytime you see quotations in the New Testament, it is a quote from an Old Testament passage. And I just want you to pay attention to that, uh, another word here, credited. Okay, so we got considered and then we got credited here. Uh, this quotation is taken from Genesis 15, verse 6. And it was not when Abraham offered Isaac. It was when God promised Isaac to Abraham. And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And because of that, he was called God's friend. Verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous. There's that phrase again, considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So we got two words here. We got credited, and then we got considered righteous. You see, credited means made or declared. So Abraham was made righteous, considered righteous. Abraham was saved by faith because of what he believed. And then we've got considered, which means evidence or proof or validation. Abraham's faith was proven by what he did. It was shown to be real. Faith and works working together. And James moves on to another example in the Old Testament. In the same way, in the very same way, right, was not even Rahab the prostitute, look, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So in this example, the nation of Israel, right, the very offspring of Abraham, they were moving into the promised land, the land that God gave them, the land of, of Canaan. And a major obstacle as they were going into the land of Canaan was the city of Jericho, heavily fortified, major city. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And so the Jews sent spies into the city, and they found a lady named Rahab who was actually non-Jewish. And it says here that she was, she was a prostitute. She lived inside this city with her family. So the Jewish spies entered the city secretly and entered the home of this lady, Rahab. And the scripture tells us that she had already heard about God. That she had already heard about what God was doing through his people. That he had chosen a people for his own possession. And she was amazed by the Lord, and the scripture says that she feared him. She feared the Lord. And so what she did was she helped the spies. She housed them. She even lied to her own king to help out the spies. 
And she sent them in a different direction outside of the city so they wouldn't be caught. Look, Rahab believed in the Lord, but she was considered righteous by what she did. And as the huge walls of Jericho fell, and as the people inside the city were slaughtered and killed, Rahab and her family were literally saved. They were preserved. They were spared. Now, James mentions these two examples. Well, why these two extremes? I mean, you know, you got Abraham, and then you got you got Rahab, a prostitute. Listen, whether patriarch or prostitute, anyone is capable of genuine faith. Anyone is capable of showing his or her faith. Anyone is capable of coming to God and being saved. And anyone is capable of showing how real their faith is. Look, two things happen when you do this, faith and works. When faith and works go together, two things happen. It's not on the screen, so you'll just have to listen to me. Two things happen. First of all, you get a personal blessing. You get a personal blessing. I want you to think about Abraham, first of all. He was given blessing based on what he did. Blessing. He was given many descendants. And the scripture even says that he was called, after this, a friend of God. Now imagine that. What a personal blessing that is. Uh, Rahab, the personal blessing for her was that she was saved. Her life was preserved. She did not get killed. Not just that, but her whole household, her family was saved. And the scriptures tells us after this takes place, she was welcomed into the family of God. From that point on, she was considered part of God's people. Personal blessing. That's number one. Number two, we're a blessing to others. A blessing to others. others. Think about Abraham. How many times do we read about Abraham's faith in the Bible? Man, that's so encouraging to, to read about that and to see that somebody actually has faith like that. It, it's encouraging to me. We are all descendants of Abraham through Christ. How did that bless others? And, and Rahab, how did she bless, bless others? Well, her and her family were saved. Not only that, who else was saved because of what she did? All of Israel. All of Israel. And you know what? Rahab would go on to have a great-grandchild. His name was David. A king after God's own heart. And from him would come the king of kings. You see, because of what she did, others are tremendously blessed by that. When faith and works work together, look, we are blessed individually so much. But we also bless others. And when we do that, when we are blessed and we bless others, God begins to move. And he begins to work out his plans in this world. Which leads us to the last thing I want to share with you before we close. Faith with works leaves a lasting legacy. Faith with works leaves a lasting legacy. Now, I don't have any scriptures to share with you on this. It's just a thought that I had, and I want to end on it. Um, I've been blessed in my life by being surrounded by godly uh, people in my family and my, my two grandmothers, primarily. 
Um, they were just so great. They invested a lot into me. Um, they always had the right thing to say to me. They encouraged me. When I was going through such a difficult time in my life, when I was actually running from God, they didn't give me the cold shoulder. They always told me how much they loved me. They always told me how great that I was, you know. They always encouraged me with their words. They gave me hugs. Um, I can remember not having a dime to my name. And uh, amazingly, the Lord had positioned me and my grandmother within just a few miles of each other. And so I went to her house, uh, hadn't eaten for over a day. And, you know, I was hungry. And she made me food. Didn't ask any questions. She said, come sit at my table. Made me food. And as I was leaving, she wadded up some money and, and didn't ask for it, but she, she stuck it in my shirt pocket. You know. And, and my other grandmother, she would do exactly the same thing. You know, their words meant a lot to me. But it was their, de- their, their words accompanied by their deeds that made the biggest impact on my life. Right? Faith with works leaves a legacy. I think about Jesus. Man, what Jesus said, Jesus said some amazing things. Jesus said some outstanding things. He said some powerful things. But it was what he did that was most important. He didn't just say, be baptized. Go baptize people. He was. He didn't just say, go seek first the kingdom of God. He didn't just tell others to do that. He did with his own life. He didn't just say, hey, go be a servant. You go serve others. He did. He washed people's feet. He didn't just say, well, you go and you go make disciples. He spent his whole ministry making disciples. He didn't just say, turn the other cheek. It's one thing to say that to somebody, isn't it? It's another thing to do it. He didn't just say, forgive others. But he did it. He forgave others, including his own enemies. He didn't just say greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. He actually did it. Let me ask you something. This picture here, what does this cross mean to you and to me? What does that mean? It means everything. It means everything. You know, Jesus said some pretty amazing things, didn't he? But it's what he did that changed the world. That changed the past for us and also changed the future. changed eternity. Let me ask you this as we're closing. Is your faith one that leaves a legacy? Right? 
when you're gone, what will people say about your faith? What will people say about your life? You said some things. Or it was what you said and what you did that impacted them. What we say is important, but it's what we say and what we do that makes our faith real. It's faith and works. Look at this. Working together so that we can be blessed. So that our actions can bless others. And ultimately, so we can glorify God with our lives. That's what real faith looks like. Faith and works working together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Father, I know we've been challenged. I know I was challenged by it. Father, we claim to have faith in you. Father, may our lives produce the fruit that our claims make. May our lives be evidence of what we believe. And Father, if, if we've professed faith in you but have nothing to show, Father, we ask for forgiveness this morning. We repent and we, we give our lives over to you to be used by you and for you. You gave your son for us. The very least we can do is give our lives back to you. So, Father, help this truth navigate our life. That our lives are to be used to glorify and to honor you. And through that, may others be blessed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.